chapter 9. If Jesus Christ is really the God-man and the Savior of the world, couldn't we expect the majority of people to trust him and follow him? Couldn't we at least expect most of the Jewish people to believe in him? After all, the scriptures and the prophets that God gave to the world through the nation of Israel foretold the coming of a Messiah and a Savior for hundreds of years. The fact is that most of the people in the world and most Jews do not recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior and God. But that does not mean that the biblical claims about the identity and provision of Jesus are untrue. The majority, most certainly, is not always right. A great passage of scripture is found in Romans 3, verses 3 and 4, where it, it says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. May God be true and every man a liar. What, what most people perceive to be true is not necessarily true. Rather, what God's word declares to be true is the truth. And the truth is, Jesus is God the Son, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the only one in whom we can hope to have redemption. Romans chapter 9 through 11 gives a, a more extended explanation of the fact that even if most Jews reject Jesus as Savior, it doesn't change the truth of who Jesus really is. God's plan of salvation by grace through faith in Christ is true. It's what we read about in the scriptures. And it's the only effective thing for providing forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In fact, the matter is, God has never worked through the majority. And he does not today. God always works with and through a believing remnant while rejecting the unbelieving majority. We find that followers of Jesus can always expect to be in the minority. If you're a follower of Christ, you're probably in a minority at school. You're probably in a minority in your neighborhood. You're probably in a minority at work. We certainly are in a minority in the world. But God works through a faithful and a believing remnant. And we find that spelled out for us. In uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 25 to 33, where it speaks about the believing remnant uh, with whom the, the Jewish prophets were experiencing righteousness today and with Jesus the rock. Romans chapter 9, start with me at verse 25. It says, As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, 
There they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Just a review of the whole purpose of Romans 9, 10, and 11. In the earlier chapters of, of the book of Romans, it's been talking about how a man can be right with God. And the only way you can be right with God is by putting faith in Christ. We're not saved by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith. That's the way any, anybody's ever saved. We, we find that uh, in Romans chapter 9 through 11, though, we, we have the issue of the fact that most Jews don't believe in Jesus. They don't recognize Christ as being the Messiah. And, and so some have thought that, that God just totally finished with Israel. But there's a problem there. And that's the fact that God had made some promises to Abraham. He promised Abraham he would have a certain amount of land that the Jews still have never possessed fully. He promised them seed, that there would be a, a special seed, and he would have descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. And he also promised him that all nations of the world would be blessed through his one special seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God had a special place for Abraham and for his descendants. And not all of God's promises to Abraham are fully fulfilled yet to this point. And there are some that say, well, God's finished with Israel. God's finished with the seed of Abraham. But there's a problem there. And the problem is this. If God does not keep his promises to Abraham, how can we expect him to keep his promises to us in John 3, 16? And the fact of the matter is, God will keep all of his promises to Israel. He will keep all of his promises to Abraham. He's not finished with the Jewish people yet, He's not finished with Abraham's descendants. Yes, they're set aside right now, and God works primarily through the church, but one day Israel will be restored. And, and that's what it talks about in these three chapters. And, and now it talks about this fact about the, the remnant. And the fact is not all descendants of Abraham were ever the people of God. God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. Uh, Jacob was the child of God and, and not Esau. And, and so it's been down through the history. And we find that Paul introduces here this idea of the remnant. And when he talks about the remnant, he brings us to prophecy. And the first prophecy he takes us to is, is the prophet Hosea. And he, he talks about the, uh, what, what, we can be learned, what we can learn through them. And if you're not familiar with 
Hosea was a prophet of God whom God told to marry a harlot. Now, there's discussion between Bible scholars whether she was actually a harlot when she married him, when he married her, or whether she became a harlot after they got married. At any rate, she was unfaithful to him. And as you read through the book of Hosea, you find how Hosea keeps going back after this unfaithful woman and taking her back again and showing great grace and, and mercy and, and love towards her. And she keeps turning from him. And uh, we find that's a picture of God and Israel. Uh, God was like, Gomer, was like Hosea. And Israel was like Gomer, kept being, kept being unfaithful to God. And God kept being patient. And God kept restoring Israel. And, and, but we find there was a time when, when Gomer was away from, from Hosea and cut off from him. And so there will be a time when Israel is cut off. That's where we're at right now. And in fact, there are words of judgment for Israel in Hosea. And one of the big things you see is the names of the children that, that Hosea was told to, to give to his children. And the, the first child was to be named Jezreel. And that was a name after a place where the, the, there was going to be seeds of, of judgment that were going to be sown. comes from the, the, what that term means. Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy. God was going to stop showing mercy to the nation of Israel, and not my people. There were going to be many that weren't considered his people. We find, however, though, according to chapter 9 here, in the passage that's quoted from Hosea, it says there will be a time when they're brought back, when God's people are brought back. God still loves his people. He's got an unconditional love for his people, and they will be restored. That's what it talks about here. I'll call them my people who were not my people. I'll restore them who were, were cut off, and they'll be called the sons of the living God. And uh, so we find that, that God partially fulfilled the judgment part of this when in 722 the Assyrians came in and carried the northern kingdom of Israel away into captivity. Uh, the fact of the matter is God has judged Israel's rejection in the past. The fact that most of the Jews don't believe in Christ right now is a, it's a mark of judgment upon Israel. They rejected Jesus the Messiah. And so they're not the focal point of God's program. That's not the first time God's judgment's been shown against Israel, but God keeps bringing them back. God keeps restoring them. Israel is under God's blinding judgment at this point, but one day they will be restored again. And uh, there's a prophecy of restoration here. And it also affects the Gentiles as well as the Jew. When, when those who are were called not God's people, they'll be called God's people. I'll tell you what, it's a great thing to be part of God's family. It's a great thing to be called the people of God. And it's a great thing we can enjoy today when we know Jesus Christ as Savior. We can be part, we can be part of God's family. We'd be his children. We have that kind of relationship with the God of the universe. So that's what this, this prophecy of Hosea is all about speaking about judgment but also speaking about restoration we find he also quotes Paul also quotes Isaiah here and, and the big thing he talks about here in verse 27 he says though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea it's a remnant that'll be saved not all the nation not just because a person is Jewish doesn't mean they have a right relationship with God 
It's always been that way. It's always been a remnant that has been, and it's the same thing true today. Most of the Jewish people don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, but there are those that do. There are many Jews that have trusted in Christ and are following Him and love Him, and they call themselves a lot of times completed Jews because they've accepted the Messiah that's been prophesied throughout the Old Testament period. But it's a remnant. It's a small group, not the majority. God always works with the remnant. And we find that God had carried out judgment upon Judah as well as the northern kingdom of Israel. They were carried off by the the Babylonians for a 70-year captivity that came into play. And, and Isaiah makes a great statement here in, in verse 29. Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been made like Gomorrah. What it's saying here is if God in his mercy and his grace had not left the people of Judah a remnant, they would have been completely cut off. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody know? They were totally destroyed, fire and brimstone, right? And the only people that got out of there were Lot and his family because God took them out in special fashion with an angel. Otherwise, those cities were totally wiped out. And if you go over to Israel now, you won't find Sodom and Gomorrah. They're gone. They think they were down in the area of the Dead Sea, but they're, they're not sure. They were completely wiped out. And what Isaiah is saying here, if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God in leaving a remnant, all of Israel would have been wiped out. In fact, we can broaden that a little bit. And I can tell you this morning, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, none of us would have hope of redemption. None of us would have hope of heaven. None of us would, would have a... Uh, any possibility of being forgiven for the sin that we've committed because we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God, we all deserve God's judgment. But God gives us grace, God gives us mercy. And what we have here is a testimony to the sovereign grace and mercy of God. Why was there a remnant left? Because God in his sovereign grace and mercy kept the remnant of Israel. Why are some people saved today? Why is there a remnant of believers in this world? The only answer is the, rem the, the, the sovereign grace and mercy of God. It's not that there are some people in this world that are smarter than others. It's not that there are some of us that are better than others. We all are, are, are in desperate need of the grace and mercy of God, and thank God He pours it out. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, and you know you're on your way to heaven, it's because God showed you grace. God showed you mercy, and you've taken Christ to be your own personal Lord and Savior. What a great situation that is to live in. A, a number of conclusions come out from these, these Old Testament prophecies that Paul quotes here. First of all, we find that there was a, a saving remnant. The, a remnant is that which is left after a disaster. Uh, those that are faithful to God, carrying on his name and truth. Those left at a time of apostasy. If a lot of people turn from God, there are some that don't. Uh, those that are left after God's judgment. A remnant is saved in righteousness. A remnant is saved by the Lord. A remnant is going to be saved of Israel in the midst of, of the tribulation period that's coming after the rapture of the church. Let me, let me show you this. Go back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 13. 
one of the purposes of the coming seven-year tribulation period is for God to turn Israel to himself. Uh, he's going to bring Jewish people as a, as a great number to recognize that Jesus really is the Messiah. And by the time you get to the end of the tribulation period, all the Jews that are left on earth will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But it's not going to be the most of the people of the Jewish race that started the tribulation period. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, says, It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name, and the name they'll call on is the name of Jesus. And I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. The conversion of Israel that's going to take place in the tribulation, it's great that there's going to be, a Jew, the, the Jews as a nation are going to recognize Christ as the Messiah and call on his name. What a wonderful thing. But did you get what it said there? During the tribulation period, what's going to happen? Two-thirds of Israel is going to be cut off. And one-third will resume. You know, we think about how terrible it was for the Jewish people in the Holocaust. Six million Jews killed during that time. It's going to be even worse during that tribulation. But a remnant will be saved, and that remnant will be a believing remnant that will recognize Jesus Christ as Savior. God does save a remnant. God's grace and mercy are the only hope for remnant. And good news. God keeps all his promises to Abraham, to Israel, to us. What a great thrill. We find that uh, the situation as it is now causes uh, some folks, some Jewish folks, some religious folks to ask a question. And the question has to do with, with who's being made righteous. There in verse 30, it says, what shall we say then? And here's, here's the question. That, that Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, have attained a righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Well, what's it saying here? It's saying, and it's an amazing thing here, you got some Gentiles that weren't very religious people. In fact, they had worshipped false gods. They didn't try to keep the Old Testament law. And now, through the ministry of Paul and the other apostles and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, these Gentiles who've been pagan idol worshipers, they've come to the place where the God calls them righteous. And they live such reprobate life, God's calling them righteous, and the righteousness they have is simply because they put their faith in Jesus to be their Messiah and to be their Savior. They're saved by God's grace through faith and here's the other part of the issue here's these these jewish people who've been very religious they had had kept the law or tried to keep the law and they they went through all the rituals and, and ceremonies and things like that were prescribed and we find that it's being said here these very religious people aren't righteous in the eyes of god how can that be how can that be aren't, aren't religious people right in the eyes of god 
Won't being religious make you right in God's eyes? And the answer is no, it won't. It won't make you. You can, you can be extremely religious and still not right with God. And here's the big problem with the fact that these Jews, as they tried to keep the law, by the way, none of them kept the law. None of them even came close to keeping the law. That's one thing Jesus taught to them in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder. But what did Jesus say? He said, I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say to you that if you've looked upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's not just the actions, it's the heart, it's the spirit that all comes into play. You start weighing yourself against a standard like that, what do you say? Woe is me. God, I've blown it. I need your mercy. Please help me. Please save me. But they, they were proud because they, they thought they had attained this righteousness through their, through their works. And they proudly trusted in being religious. You know what, self-righteousness, religious pride are, are two of the greatest abominations, well, basically boiled down to one, abomination in the eyes of God. In fact, that's not something that's very attractive to us. How do you like being around self-righteous people? You know, they think they're better than everybody else. They think they're better than we are. You know, we're, 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 we're way down here and they're up here. Because they, they, they do more, they, they, they've got a better heritage and, and whatnot. We get around people like that and it's repulsive. You know, people that boast in their own religious works, boast in their own good works. We don't like being around that. And I've got good news for you, it, it won't be like that in heaven. In fact, we're told in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. That it's a gift of God. It's not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to walk around the streets of heaven bragging about what they did to get there. You know what we're going to do in heaven? We're going to sing about Jesus. And we're going to give all the glory to him. And we're going to point to Jesus and say, you know, he's the reason I'm here. I don't deserve to be here, but he got me in. He died on that cross. He shed his blood for my sin. He drew me to himself so that all I had to do was trust in him and repent of my sin, humble myself before him. And he gave me the opportunity to enter heaven forever and ever as a free gift. All I had to do was accept it. See, that's what salvation's all about. And it's all about looking to Christ. It's all about our faith in him. It's all about giving him the glory. And the Jews were missing it. Because they were all wrapped up in their own religious rituals, their own good works. If anybody here thinks you're going to get into heaven because you got baptized, I got news for you. That doesn't cut it. That won't get you there. If anybody here thinks you're going to get to heaven because you're a member of First Baptist Church, that won't do it. You can get into this church a whole lot easier you can get into heaven. Getting into this church and meet with the deacons and ask, they ask you questions about your testimony and things like that. And, and you know what? Those deacons, they can be fools. You, you, you can convince them that you, you know Christ is your Savior 
But not, not one of those guys is a mind reader. Not one of those guys is a soul reader. We don't know people's real spiritual condition. All we can do is ask questions and get responses from people. But you know what? God knows our heart. God knows our heart. And the only way we get into heaven is when we've taken Christ as our own personal Savior and there's a genuine relationship with Him that changes our lives, changes our eternal destiny. And it all comes down to that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness was missed by the Jews because they proudly trusted in being religious, trusted in their own righteousness, trusted in keeping their law, and none of them kept that law, not even close. And here's the big issue. Here's where the real kicker comes in. They stumbled. They tripped and they fell over the stumbling stone. Well, who's the stumbling stone? Well, we get an Old Testament quote here where God tells us who the stumbling stone is. He says, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, but whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, he's called the cornerstone. The cornerstone who had been rejected and turns out to be the chief cornerstone, the one that's absolutely necessary for building the building, for building a light. That's Christ. And Jesus Christ can have one of two roles in your life. He's either your cornerstone upon whom you're building your life and basing your salvation, or he is your stumbling stone, who you trip over, who you dash yourself on. He's a rock of offense. What you, what you do with Jesus determines what's going to happen to you for all of eternity. If we take him as Savior and truly trust in him and become a follower of Jesus, then he's our cornerstone. We build our lives on him, and our eternal destiny is based upon him, and it's sure, and it is solid. But if you reject him, you turn away from him. Say, oh, I don't believe he's God. I don't believe he's the only Savior. Surely there's more than one way to heaven. Well, not according to my Bible. My Bible, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. My Bible says that the Jesus is the only name in which we can get in. It says that there's no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be what? Saved. And guess what? You need to be saved. And I need to be saved. We only get to heaven by being saved. So, oh, that's religious jargon. No, that's biblical terminology. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were lost, and now we're, we're saved. We're rescued. We're delivered. And how? Only through Jesus. Only through what he did on Calvary's cross. When he shed his blood, it was to pay for our sin. When he cried out to God the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, he who knows, knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was bearing our sin at that time. The Father had to turn away from it. And then he died after shedding his blood for our sin so that our sin could be washed away. But the story doesn't end there, does it? 
On the third day, what happened? He rose again. And that proved that he is who he claimed to be, the only Savior. He is God, become fully man, while continuing to be fully God. He is the only Savior. He is the only way to heaven. He is the sure way to heaven. He's the one that we need to be our Savior. He's either our, our, our cornerstone or our stumbling stone. And we find that the, the remnant better be trusting in Jesus Christ. He's the rock of salvation provided by God. But he's a stumbling stone to those who refuse to come to him in faith. Hit the button there, would you, Mike? Stop moving on me. Locked up. There we go. The one who trusts in Christ. Great statement here. The one who trusts in him, who believes in him, will not be put to shame. When we stand before God, we won't be put to shame. Why? Because we are not trying to stand there in our own righteousness. We're all wrapped up in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? You won't ever be proven wrong. Say, well, the majority says Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't the only Savior. That there's lots of ways to heaven. We'll never, we'll never be shown to be wrong when we say that Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the Savior. We'll never be put to shame as we have our faith in him. We will be welcomed into glory by the Lord. Bottom line, nobody, nobody can be made righteous in the eyes of God by birth or family heritage, not just by being born a Jew or being born a Baptist or, or born anything. That won't make you right with God. Nobody can be righteous by religious works that they do. Baptism, taking communion, that won't make you right with God. Joining a church. Nobody can be right with God by any good works. And, and here's the thing. Nobody can be right with God by being part of the majority. You see, there's not going to be a vote to determine whether you or I get into heaven. Okay, all in favor of letting Wigand in, raise your hand. Uh, it's not that. There's only one vote. And you know what? That vote's already been made. Jesus voted for me when he died on the cross for me. And thank God we can be part of that believing remnant, but only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's true for God, for, for Jews. That's true for Gentiles. That's true for all people. If you're here this morning, you know Christ is Savior. Sometimes you may kind of moan, well, I'm, I'm not like everybody in my school. I'm not like everybody that I work with. Praise God. If you're part of God's remnant, that's not something to be proud about but it's something to be grateful for. We talk, we're celebrating Thanksgiving this Thursday. I hope at the top of your list is that you're part of the family of God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to get together with earthly families for Thanksgiving, isn't it? But how much more wonderful it is to be part of the family of God through what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come into a relationship with you through faith. Father, we pray that you would just speak to each one of us here today, and, and we pray that we would exalt Christ in our heart and our lives. And if there's anybody here today that's trusting in anything other than the Lord Jesus, would you confess, would you convict them? 
Show them their need to know Christ as Savior. And God, help us to know Christ, to be humble, grateful, thankful people for your grace and your mercy. Because if you hadn't bestowed that upon us, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with me a verse of uh, the solid rock on Christ, the solid rock I stand? Stand together while we sing. you're here and don't know Christ, I'd be happy to talk to you about coming to know him right after the service this morning. My hope is built on nothing less. Is this your testimony this morning? I pray it is. Amen.